ones who call upon the name of the Lord. That is the distinction that sets us apart. And um, what a glorious time this morning it is to be with you, with God's people. The Spirit of Jesus is in the house this morning. You feel that? I sense it. It is wonderful to be here. And I'm excited about, um, about hearing uh, uh, an eight-octave scale again in music. It's, uh, it's been a week of different music for me. Beautiful people praising the Lord, uh, but in a different way. Praising the Lord with a different sound. And uh, I so miss the... Uh, the Western sound of our, um, our hymns. And so I, I have a new appreciation for those of you who are maybe from Asia or from the Middle East who've come to this country and you're in our worship service and saying, oh, how I long for the sound of my homeland and the, the music of my homeland. I, it occurred to me as well that God must have to have a very broad range of musical interest and tastes. Um, and, and so I, I have a new appreciation for the living God. Although, I think we all know that, that uh, our God, the reason that he loves uh, um, the different expressions of worship throughout the world is because our God looks at the heart. And uh, he hears the music from our heart. And uh, so he has this, this broad appreciation, whereas we do not. In fact, even within our own congregation, I'm sure there are very narrow, different, different uh, appreciations. But, but uh, it is good to hear um, the sound of you again. And, and by the way, I want you to know that, that uh, uh, the, the people that I was with, uh, uh, Middle East people, wanted me to make sure that I expressed to you their gratitude and thanksgiving for um, um, sending me to, to be with them. And we have new friends now in Egypt and, and Jordan and, um, and Lebanon and Israel and and uh, they, they seriously will be praying for Calvary Baptist Church is now known to them and will be taken back to their churches. And, and even this day, in churches in those countries, uh, I know that Calvary Baptist Church is being remembered and uh, being prayed for. And, and because uh, they are such a relational people, I know for a fact that they will continue to pray for us. And uh, we, we continue to... to um, um, uh, gather friends uh, around the world, uh, our ministry here, and so um, what a blessing it is, and I'm very excited to be here and, and ready to go and ready to teach you God's word this morning. Um, we, uh, we are winding up uh, our series on uh, the disciple, the disciple is, and um, once again, I want to remind you that um, these teachings are not from the core values of Calvary Baptist Church uh, or invented by some sort of um, gathering of people in the core values, but rather these are the things that Jesus has taught us. And um, Jesus is the one who has determined who a disciple is and what a disciple is like. And, and um, therefore, what we have brought to you, which was to be six sermons and has expanded to seven sermons and probably could have gone to eight, um, but we'll keep it at seven. It might seem like eight after today, but it's seven. And, uh, but so I, I consider this perhaps the most important series that I've ever preached in my life. Um, because this is core truth of salvation. This is distinctiveness of Christianity uh, being presented. And um, I'm, I'm going to uh, see that uh, several of these, uh, ser this series will be put in a packet and placed in our, our, our library because I really 
want you to make sure that you can go back to this and, and, uh, and uh, re replay it. Or if you missed one of them, that I want to make sure that you, you, you have opportunity to go in here because we really need to know what a disciple is. And um, so today we want to look at the sixth um, of our series on, on discipleship. Would you please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 15. Now, um, there is a Christian life truism that I want to share with you as we introduce this text this morning, and that is this, that pretending to be a Christian is exhausting and unsustainable. And um, that explains why you in life have perhaps uh, encountered a number of people who have started out allegedly in the faith, but somewhere along the way dropped off. It's because um, the nature of Christianity and the requirement of a Christian uh, cannot be sustained by our own power and our own strength. And this is what Christ is particularly teaching us in John chapter 15. And we need to understand this because um, if you have the real thing, although you will face struggles and challenges in your life, there is a supernatural attraction, a, a connectedness, a hold, a flow in your life that comes from God who will not let you go. And um, this is what we want to uh, address this morning in particular. To this point in our series, we have keyed on fundamentally the outward authenticating marks of a disciple. Although we've talked to you lots about the fact that it's all about the heart and it's all about the inside, but we've, we've described for the most part a lot of things that are, are, are going on on the outside as a result of the inside. But today is, is a uniquely different emphasis that Christ takes us to. And in particular, he talks about the importance of the inside. Not that it doesn't have any outside ramifications, because it always does. What's, truly, what's true of you on the inside will be demonstrated on the outside. But I want to tell you this morning about Christ's teaching about the key issues of the inside, and what is happening on the inside, and what needs to happen on the inside for you to have authenticating uh, behavior on the outside. Let's look at this text for us. Well, before we get to the text, I really think it's important, again, to do a quick review of where we've been so we, we don't miss it, because we need to know for sure what a disciple is, to tell the difference between the real and the deceived. You remember I shared with you a statistic uh, along the series somewhere that out of the 35 million Canadians, StatsCan tells us that 23 million claim to be Christians. And oh, how we wish that were true. And uh, I believe that it is appropriate to use the word in terms of correct theology, Christian and disciple interchangeably. But in our culture, not so much so. Because I don't think there's anyone in this room this morning that believes that 60% or 6 out of 10 or 6 plus out of 10 of everybody you meet is a born-again believer. I don't think you believe that. I think you long for that. I think we as a missionary church, it's our heart and our passion. But we all know that, that uh, those who claim and are just simply state they are Christian are not necessarily Christians. They're certainly not necessarily disciples of Jesus Christ, sadly. 
In fact, uh, maybe there's not even 3 million of the 35 million people in our country who are truly, truly born-again disciples of Jesus Christ. So there's an urgency to this message, an urgency to this series of messages to make sure that the Bible teaches us to make sure you're of the faith. So we have learned that a disciple is a person who has been baptized and who makes disciples and is teaching people to obey the things that Christ has commanded by behavior, to observe, to be an example of the things that Jesus has commanded us. We have learned that, that a true disciple is willing to give up everything for Christ, all the things they have for Christ. Uh, we know that a, a, that a true disciple um, uh, also is willing to give over their fears and their family uh, for Christ. We've learned that, um, in fact, true disciples have been set free from the slavery to sin. Not that we don't sin anymore, but that we have been liberated from the slavery to sin. We once formally had to sin by nature. We no longer have to sin. We sin by choice now. So that's an amazing liberation that has taken place in our hearts and our lives. One for which we are eternally grateful to our God and Savior who has rescued us from this uh, body of sin and we have been re released now to serve him with all of our hearts to live pure lives, to live lives of integrity, to live lives on fire for God, to live lives exciting for God, to live lives, lives that, are, uh, that are useful to God. And then, of course, a disciple loves like Christ loves. A love that would give up your life sacrificially for a brother. So this is what we've learned to this point. But I want to... Uh, draw your attention to John 15 as the final disciple description that Jesus gives. And he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, 
I have made known to you. Can you imagine? You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Let me pause there for a second because I don't like running over this. This is such a big amen moment. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to bear fruit. This is an amazing truth. That out of all the peoples in the world, do you understand that if you are in Christ today, he purposely chose you. You wouldn't have chosen him. He chose you. And not only did he choose you, he chose you for a purpose and appointed you to realize that purpose in your life, to bear fruit. Fruit that will last forever. Now, there are a number of things that we can do in our lives, but as believers, we are told this truth, that God has set us in his kingdom that our lives might matter for all eternity, that he has given us great purpose because he loved us, not because we loved him. This is an amazing thing. And then he says, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command love each other. Well, this is the word of God for us this morning. Our Father, as we pause here uh, for prayer, particularly, Lord, it would seem most appropriately um, to ask you to work in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would work through what I share with God's people here this morning. Father, without you, we can do nothing. But in and through you, you enable us to bear fruit, bear much fruit, Lord, to accomplish what you've appointed us to accomplish, uh, th uh, things that will affect uh, and shape forevermore. Oh God, I, I pray this morning, in this few moments, that you will impact our hearts in a fresh way, that we will be so enthusiastic about what we have in you. And Father, that we will be so encouraged by what it means to be a disciple and what we have in you, the resources that we have in you. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we, uh, we find ourselves here um, in terms of Jesus' life. We find our, ourselves where he's walking out of the upper room. He has just left the Last Supper uh, where he was with his disciples, and he is walking from that place. He is walking toward Gethsemane, and uh, we, we're pretty certain that as he's walking, he comes to the temple. He comes near the temple and he pauses and he stops at the temple. And where he, what he has to say next detonates a theological explosion. For which he was crucified. Stephen was stoned to death. And the apostle Paul was beheaded. And your brothers and sisters, and in fact you, continue to be persecuted for. Jesus said this, I am the true vine. Now that may not sound at first like an earth-shattering, bomb detonation kind of moment to you theologically, but this is one of the great statements that sets before us the exclusive nature of Jesus Christ then and for all time. You see, um, in the context that, with which he proclaimed this, 
was a gathering of Jewish Israeli men who had been brought up in a religious system, correctly so, that defined them as God's distinctive people, that he had called them out. Out of all the nations, he had called them out. But over the years, of course, there had become a erosion of faith, and the majority of people in that called-out people of faith no longer really served God, no longer really believed in him, no longer had a heart connection with God. Nevertheless, as the ethnic chosen people of God, they still viewed themselves as the vine planted in God's garden. That by virtue of being Jewish, you were automatically planted in the garden of God. Because Israel, after all, was the vine of God. And all others needed to attach themselves to that vine. To that teaching, Jesus steps in and says, I am the true vine. Now the implications of that have shaped history, have shaped our lives. Because what Jesus was saying at that moment is that Israel must connect to me. And everybody who comes after must connect to me alone. I am the true vine. I want to share with you this morning three powerful statements that Jesus made. The first of which is this one. I am the true vine. I am the true planting of God. And anyone who wants to be connected to the living God, anyone who wants to be in the garden of God must connect themselves or be connected to the true vine. Since Jesus is the true vine, what he is stating then through the ages is there is only one legitimate connection point to the Father, and that is through Christ. And he goes on to say here, you cannot be a disciple unless you are producing fruit, verse 2. And you cannot produce fruit by yourself. You must be connected to Jesus only. Now this was an earth-shattering teaching. Because as they were standing at the temple, and I've actually shared this a little bit of this with you before because we've taught this text before. As they were standing at the temple, the most holy place, Jesus was saying, from now on, I am it. I'm the true vine, and I am the holy place. To be in the Father's kingdom, you have to be attached to me. Now, he was standing there at the time, and we know architecturally, he was likely standing very near to the place where the, the, the people had already decorated the temple with golden vines and golden clusters of grapes. The temple was incredibly ornate and, and the uh, resources of the people was invested in this grand picture that God had presented of this vine and the connection to this vine of these large clusters of grapes that would in fact continue to be would continue to grow and flourish as God's people um, brought resources to God. This vine would increase in, in size, and it was pure gold and massive. We are told historically that when the Romans sacked Jerusalem in A.D. 70, and of course confiscated all of that gold, that the price of gold plummeted 
in Syria by 50%. It was devalued instantly. Now think of this. The decorative nature of this symbol in one glorious temple devalued the currency and economy of a whole nation. Now, uh, that's a lot of gold. I don't know what it would take to do that today, although Mugabe probably knows how to, how to do that very well in Zimbabwe. But um, he says, I am the true vine. And the truth is, in verse 16, that proof of your selection into Christ's kingdom, uh, that I chose you, that he actually chose us, is the bearing of lasting fruit. I chose you, you didn't choose me, and I appointed you to bear fruit, and the authenticating mark that you truly have been chosen is that you will bear fruit. That's what, the, that's what verse 16 teaches us. Now, what is this fruit? It's not grapes. It is, in fact, making spiritual progress personally. We learn that in, in other parts of the scriptures. In Galatians 5, and 23, for instance, the fruit of the Spirit is... It's, a, it's God's work in our life to change and shape our character to become more Christ-like. That's what bearing fruit looks like. It's also advancing God's efforts in the world. He's called us to make change, make changes in people's lives where we are, to, to take the truth of Jesus Christ and make him known where he's not known. That's bearing fruit that will last for eternity. We are continuing as a church. One of our, our great passions is to, is to make Christ known around the world, to gain for ourselves friends. We're jealous for friends. We're, we're, we can't have enough friends for heaven, Luke 16, verse 9, that when we get there, we'll be welcomed into heavenly places. I'm telling you that people from Calvary Baptist Church will be welcomed into, into Pastor Salim Shalash's church in Nazareth. And the people of that church who will bless you and, and, and thank God for you. Because we are bearing fruit that will last for eternity. This is the fruit that we're talking about. This is the, um, there's something different about that person thing. All right? This fruit bearing. It, it's, it's what should be noticed in the marketplace, wherever we are, where people can say, you know what, there's just something very different about that person. I can't put my finger on, I can't exactly tell you what it is, because I don't, I, don't, I don't understand theology, I don't understand all the truths of these things. They wouldn't know all of that. But there's something, and I can't put my finger on, that's very compelling about that person. That's what this is. That you might bear much of that. But the question is how? How do we bear this fruit? That's what he's addressing here. And so, um, although Jesus is telling the disciples that he's leaving, because this is the fair, called the farewell discourse, Jesus says, I'm leaving, checking out. But he says at the same time, I'm remaining. I'm leaving, but I'm remaining. Because if I don't remain, you won't bear fruit. So I'm going to stay. I'm going to go, but I'm going to stay. And that's the mystical union, mystical relationship that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ that dwells us. Now, this is what the key to being a fruit-bearing disciple is all about. If this isn't true of your life, then you, you can't. You aren't a disciple. See, 
he says here, if a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. John 15, 5. Those who don't last in Christianity uh, have missed this point and missed the understanding of this and have spent their lives being shaped by copying Christians. You can't bear much fruit by copying Christians. Remember I said at the very outset of this this morning that that, uh, it is exhausting and unsustainable to try and pretend to be a Christian. That's why only true, real, authentic believers are going to be at the end with Christ. Because um, he says, with, without me, you can't, you can't do this. And so many people have, have, have been taught and they, they have tried to learn the things of Christ by coming to church and looking and observing other people who are Christians and saying, well, oh, I guess that's how I'm supposed to be. And of their own strength and self-determination, they try to live like a Christian. And... Uh, Eventually, they drop off, they drop away, and where our hearts are grieved, we wonder, what happened there? Well, they were trying to be, they were trying to be, um, uh, trying to copy Christianity, when in fact, what Jesus teaches about true, authentic Christianity is that you are to be a conduit of the true, divine energy of God, that you must have a, a, an organic connection to Christ. Now, um... You know, this takes us to a, a different place in our understanding of, of, of the reality and nature of our experience with Christ. Uh, it is here that I think we need to, we need to um, um, give some explanation. Uh, as, I, as I shared with the, the first group, um, this is where uh, I might stray a little bit from the the, the normal Baptist uh, theological line, and, and not because uh, of, of any bad theology in, in the Baptist denomination, but because we really haven't, I think, stressed or understood the nature of our relationship with Christ properly, in that uh, for way too many of us, we may have understood the nature of Christianity was if I believe the right things, and then if I turn around and do the right things, I'm a Christian. Well... That sounds good, but it's woefully inadequate because what Jesus teaches here is an organic connection to Christ, which goes past simply believing the truth and to mimicking the actions of the truth to actually experiencing a relationship, a real relationship with Jesus Christ, whereby I know that I am connected to Christ. This goes to the experience place. I can hardly get the word out. This is the mystical part of Christianity, the mysterious part of Christianity, the distinctiveness of Christianity. There are lots of zealous religious people, and I mean in various kinds of different religions, who believe their truths... And who practice their truths very well. But what makes a difference 
and a distinction between Christianity and all of the other belief systems in the world is we actually have a living experiential relationship and connectedness to the divine God of heaven. We are actually indwelt and connected to God so that we are enabled to do things that are only that only God can do. And so to express the truth of our discipleship and the authenticity of our Christianity, we must include not only do I believe the right things and not only do I act upon the right things, but I am experiencing in my life a real relationship with a real living God. And so the only way that our human minds can comprehend this is that Jesus gave this amazing illustration of a vine and branches. And here I stray into, into territory that I know nothing of, agriculture. I know you're getting worried and breaking out in hives and all that kind of stuff, but let me just say this, that what I see in the whole area of this illustration of agriculture is that the little I know about agriculture is that when you cut something that's alive, there seems to be some sort of moisture there. There seems to be some sort of fluid there. It, the difference between a branch of a Charlie Brown Christmas tree, for instance, at the end of Christmas, that just snaps, and one that, you know, wow, 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 wiggles, and you can't break it, and you, when you cut it, there's fluid, is life versus death. And Jesus gives this illustration because of our human minds that in order to have the real authentic thing, you have to have some sort of flow and, and the only way I can sort of talk about it is you have to be, uh, have the, be juiced with Jesus, all right? I don't know how else to say this to you, but, but um, there has to be this living flow that you experience. The life of Christ is actually poured into your life and there's this experience that the Apostle Paul could say in Romans chapter 8, verse 16, um, the Spirit... The Holy Spirit testifies to my spirit or to your spirit that you are truly God's children. Now, that's not from dogma or doctrine. That's not from behavior or doing. That is inside of your heart that somehow there is this ministry that says, I know, I know, I know that Jesus and I are connected. And you know what? Somebody outside of Christ has no idea what I'm talking about. But when you're in Christ, you know. And so our testimony is not only that we believe the right things and that we do the right things on the basis of obeying Christ, but that we have something that is really real. And it's alive. And it's living. And it's zesty. And it's joyful. And it causes us to instantly love brothers and sisters, even though we haven't met them. For one millisecond, we meet them and we love them and we can't explain that. That doesn't make any sense. It's because Jesus Christ is actually living through us. Unless you have that, you are not a disciple. And you can't make that happen. You can't copy that. It's exhausting trying to copy that. You can't copy that. You can't, you can't manufacture that. Jesus says this. If you don't have this, you can't produce fruit. And this is not a cause for us to be alarmed or try and work ourselves. And he said, I chose you. You didn't choose me. 
I chose you, so relax. I chose you, and I appointed you to bear much fruit. And if you are really in my garden, in my Father's garden, that means you are connected to the vine. You know it. And it will show. So true connection results in real living evidence. Just checking my time here, Pastor Steve. That's not looking good at all. <laughs> I thought I might fix this after the first service, but no. All right, so listen, listen. I want to give you very quickly three things that, sh- that, that, that make this true. I've already shared the first one with you a little bit. It takes you past right beliefs, right ethics, to holy experience of God's energy. You are supernaturally charged, divinely juiced, however you want to say this. It's beyond ceremony. It's beyond mind. It is attachment and results. Spiritual results. This, secondly, you have peaceful confidence. Uh, under this whole idea of if a man remains in me and I in him, you have peaceful confidence of being able to rely on the rich resources of God rather than be stressed out at the idea, what, me, serve, me have to do ministry? I'm stressed out about that. Well, you will be stressed out if, you think you're, if you're planning to rely on your own strength. Regularly, even though we are connected to the vine and we are juiced in Jesus, we simply say in our own minds, I'm sorry, Jesus, I'm not going to rely on you. I'm going to rely on my own strength. We don't say that out loud, but we live like that. I have to remind myself, I can't tell you people how many times I have, to rely, I have to remind myself, it's not about me, it's not about me producing, it's not about me standing up in front of you and presenting a great sermon. It's about Jesus working his life through me and me presenting to you the fruit of that. Every time I don't get there, I am stressed and concerned and, I, and, I, and I'm all, all anxious and all of that. But when I rely on Christ, when I really remind myself that I'm connected to a vine and I have divine energy flowing through me, I'm fine. And that's where you get the peaceful confidence to absolutely say yes to Jesus when he wants you to do something instead of being all stressed about it. I should tell him this story, shouldn't I? Like, uh, I was, I, I have to tell you this story. I was, um, a prime example of this was, um, was this week. When, um, in fact, uh, uh, as you know, it's a time change over there. And I, I thought I was adjusted to the time change. And, and, and the teaching responsibilities, although we had some involvement each day, uh, each of the presenters had one day that was really your day. And, and that day, in that day, you had to teach for six hours, which is rather, you know, can you imagine listening to me for six hours? They liked it. <laughs> or at least they told me they did. Anyway, um, on, on the night before, I thought, well, listen, I, I've got to get some good sleep tonight because I've got a big day ahead of me. So I, I, I tucked myself into my little wooden bed at 11.30 their time, and, and, uh, which is like, Three o'clock in the afternoon, two, four o'clock in the afternoon here anyway. So I'm, I'm tucked in bed and, and uh, I, I'm, there's a TV down at the end of the bed which has a clock on it. And I, I'm laying on my pillow staring at this TV with a clock. And I notice, you know, it's 12 midnight and, and then it's, it's 12.30. And I thought, oh man, this is, I'm like I'm starting to get stressed. I'm sorry, I got to get to sleep. I got to get some sleep. So I thought, I know what I'll do, I'll pray. Because I always fall asleep when I pray. So I thought, this will work very well. So... <laughs> So um, I'm praying, I'm praying up a storm, I'm praying for everybody here, I'm praying about tomorrow, I'm praying about all that stuff, and it's just waking me up more. 
So I thought, this isn't working, so I quit praying. And uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, so then I thought, I, I got to sleep. And now I'm looking, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I thought, what? I, I, I know what, I, I, there's a strategy. You should read a book. Get up. And, so I got up and I got a book out. I got a Joe Boot book. And I thought, you know, on apologetics, I thought, this will put me to sleep for sure. And um, I'll have to apologize to him if he ever hears this. But anyway... So I got that book out, and I'm reading his, his view of apologetics and all that. And, and now my mind's starting to whirl, right? Instead of falling asleep, I'm starting to think about what he's saying. And now I'm like, wow, I'm really awake. And, and so I said, this isn't working. I put the book away, and I'm laying there. And I'm watching the clock. It's now 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, God, I've got to sleep. Don't you know I can't do this if I don't sleep? And I'm getting all stressed out. And, and finally, it goes to 3 o'clock in the morning. I've got to get up at 6 so I was fit to be tied, but that was the last time I saw the clock. So in God's providence, he thought I only needed three hours of sleep. And I can tell you, and seriously, I'm, without a sh I got up in the morning and thought, well, Lord, you know what? I'm useless. So if you don't help me, this is going to be the worst day of these people's lives. And I just simply left it to him, forgot about the stress, forgot about... And I want to tell you, honestly, it was one of those, those days where it just flowed. I mean, God, I, you know, I'd been watching these other presenters tell amazing stories and illustrations and everything, and I'm thinking, I don't have any stories. And so I thought, I've I got to have stories, because these are Middle East people. They like stories. And so I'm panicking about that, and then I'm like, oh, God, you, you just got to help me. I, I, I'm going to be a disaster. And stories were coming to me, and illustrations were coming to me, and I'm like, what's going on here? But I couldn't show that, right? I had to just keep talking. And, uh, and I realized, this is amazing. And it was, it was exactly what God had taught me from John 15, is that we don't need to be stressed about our work because it's God's work, and he will flow through us. And then, of course, the answer to prayer. Do you realize in this text that when we're connected to God in constant contact, young people know about that, Facebook and Twitter and all that constant contact. When we're in constant contact with the Lord, it guarantees satisfying prayer results. That's what he says here. You know, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be given to you. So what does that mean? We can ask God forever we want, whatever we want. Well, wait a second. He's talking about constant contact. He's talking about the flow of Christ in our life. He's talking about the fact that you are so in connection with me, not just figuratively, but really, that what I want becomes what you pray I'll use my, my kid over here, Graydon, as an example. Graydon, you know, if you're in constant contact with the lovely Sarah, and she's talking to you and always telling you what she wants and, and, and all of that, you have no a question about what, what you should get for her, what you should do for her. And this is the same kind of relationship that we have with God when we're in constant contact. The reason that we can be confident about our prayer lives, if we're in sync with God, if we're in constant contact with Him, is we know we're asking exactly what He wills. And you know that the Lord will always answer his will. He will always answer prayers about his will. And so he promises us that our prayer life will be satisfying and, and great answers. Let me just fin finally point out to you that he says here, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. And my command is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the genius of Jesus who sets his sight on what this fruit is all about and how this fruit works. It's not just about some sort of gooey love relationship we have with one another. That's a, a bit of a problem that's out there is, is all we have to do is if we could just get a place where we love each other, everything would be fine. No, it's not just about that. 
And, and it's certainly not all about simply abiding by the rules and religious rules and rituals. Jesus says this, if you obey me, you will remain in my love. And my command is this, that you love one another. He connects all of it together and says, I want obedient love. I want people who love one another on the basis of their willingness to obey me. And I want their love to, to, to be demonstrated by how they obey me. This is how you remain connected to Christ. This is how you remain in his energy, in his divine energy. Uh, to love and to, to obey can only happen by God's exchange of his energy in our lives. That was one of the things that was, we were talking about evangelism, we were talking about salvation, we were talking about reaching lost people to the people of, of Egypt and the people of Lebanon and the people of Jordan and Israel. And one of the questions that kept coming up is, I'm having trouble loving enough to want to evangelize. And every time this, it was the same answer, this kind of love only comes from God. And you can imagine in the neighborhoods they live in, it's a little tougher to love than it is here. But God will enable them. So let me just conclude this. There's only one place that you can find this fruit and that you can experience this fruit and that this fruit can be produced and that's through Christ Jesus and your connection to him. So a disciple is a person who shows genuine signs of spiritual life that, that one can only get through real connection to Christ and that's obedient love. Father... Uh, we thank you now as we turn our attention to the table of the Lord that you um, have taught us what this is about. But Lord, this is not just an intellectual exercise of teaching. You have just described what we are experiencing. We maybe don't fully understand all of this, but this is what the experience of a true Christian is, is to remain connected to Christ and he in us. Oh God, I pray and thank you that we don't have to keep ourselves connected to you. You keep us. And then in that exchange of that relationship, we long to stay connected to you through obedience to your word. Oh God, thank you for this amazing relationship. And I pray, Father, that we might fully experience this in our lives and the fullness of this, that we might rely on you and our connection to you. In Jesus' name, amen.